Hey everybody, it is Wednesday, October 6th, it's 10.30 a.m. And that means it is time for Bible study. We have officially reached October 2021, which means fall is really here now. It's exciting. And we are finishing the book of Hebrews today. That's right, we are finishing the book. We've been studying it now for the last, I don't know, couple months. And now we are finishing Hebrews and next week we'll start something new. I don't know what we're going to do next week, but we'll do something fun and interesting and um, hope you'll join us. So thank you for taking the time to listen to Hebrews 13 today and for joining me on this journey through the book of Hebrews and hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And uh, uh, next week, again, we'll start something new. Not sure what we're going to do next week. Okay, so let's jump right in. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Do not neglect to show hospitality. So, uh, hospitality has always been an important virtue of the Christian church. It's always been something that uh, has been lifted up as, as something that Christians should do, something that Christians should be hospitable, right? Um, and so uh, basically going back to the very beginnings of Christianity, this, this comes, uh, comes up in the, because there weren't a lot of hotels back then, right? And so as Christians traveled from city to city, they need places to stay. And so there were places where people could stay. You could pay to stay places, but uh, they were not the kind of places that you wanted to be found. And so part of the early church was be hospitable. Open your homes to others. Make sure that uh, uh, you're, you're you're willing to let people stay and have a place to stay as they travel around for the sake of the gospel. Now, um, important to say this, important to say this, that when we think of hospitality, we think of welcoming, right? Right. If someone shows up, uh, I, you are welcome, right? <laughs> you are all are welcome here, right? Which means if you show up, guess what? We're going to tell you that you're welcome here. Hospitality is more than just you are welcome. It's you are invited here. It's going out and saying, you are invited. We want you to be here. We would love it if you would come, right? And so that's part of hospitality is not just, well, I guess if you're going to make the trip and you're going to come and you're going to knock on my door, I'll open the door and say, you're welcome. No, it's it's actually inviting people. It's making sure that people know that when, when they show up, that the, not only that they're welcome, but you're excited that they're there. Well, I'm excited that you're here. I, I, I'm excited that you're listening to this podcast. Right? I'm excited that you're that you're making the time for this. I'm excited and, I, and you're invited and I want you to be part of it. It's not just, hey, if you show up, you're welcome. And too often we think that's what a hospitality is. Uh, okay, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money. So money itself is not bad. Loving money is bad. And be content with what you have. Uh, ambition. Ambition is something that is admired today, right? Uh, uh, we, we like people, ambitious people are, we lift them up and say, oh, you, we love ambitious people. We love, but, but are you ambitious for the sake of achieving goals? Are you ambitious for the sake of making a lot of money because you love money? I am ambitious because I love money. 
right? Uh, someone asked billionaire Bernard Baruch, who died like 50 years ago, uh, how much money does it take for a rich man to be satisfied? And Baruch, who was one of the wealthiest people in America at the time, said, just a million more than he has, right? So I've got 100 million. I'll be satisfied when I get to 101. And then you get to 101, and you go, well, I guess, I guess now I want 102, right? This idea that we're eventually going to be satisfied by the stuff we have is a myth. There's no point where you reach satisfaction. There's no point where you say, now I'm good. Now I'm good. I'm satisfied now. I'm content now, right? If we think we're going to find peace and joy and contentment through stuff, we're never going to get there. But if we find peace, joy, and contentment through relationships and through our faith and through all that God has done and through the lives that we get to live and the ways that we get to share it with others, well, then we can be content today. We can be content right now. And that's that's what the lesson here is. So uh, be content with what you have. And, and if you're not, pray about that. Ask, ask the Lord to help you with that. Ask the Lord to help you be content with what you have. Okay, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So so the last chapter of Hebrews, it, there's a lot of good one-liners in it. It's almost like Proverbs in that it's not addressing a certain point anymore. It's just a lot of like one-liner, like like really good one-liners, like really good stuff, right? Uh, and so there's not like a lot of elaboration on some of this stuff. So we have the verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So God, God doesn't change over time. God doesn't change over time that, you know, you know, God, God doesn't have issues that God works through and then God eventually becomes a better God, right? Or God doesn't like go on a weight loss program and then, you know, shows up one day and you're like, oh God, you look really good today, right? No, God doesn't change. God doesn't, there's no transformation in God. And, and Jesus as part of the Trinity, part of Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Right. So what does this mean? So what does this mean? So, so we, all, we often wonder, well, what's it going to be like when I see Jesus at the end, right? When I die and stand before the throne of God, how is Jesus going to talk to me? Is Jesus going to show me the grace that Jesus showed sinners in the gospels? Well, that's, that's what this says. Yeah. Is that if Jesus, when he was here in person, showed grace to sinners, when it's our turn to stand before Jesus, why would Jesus be like, well, I showed them grace, you know, 2,000 years ago, but I'm not going to show grace anymore. I'm done with that. I've moved on from the grace bit. Now I'm going, you know, with something. No, I, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever, right? So we can believe that when we, when we do see Jesus, that Jesus is going to be full of grace, full of love, full of forgiveness. Jesus is going to be the same Jesus that we saw in the Gospels. All right, verse 10, 10 through 13. This is a good one here. This is a good one that we all need to hear. We have an altar from which those who officiate in the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. So what does that mean, inside the camp and outside the camp? You know, are, you in, are you under the tent or are you outside of the tent? We all know what this feels like, right? To be inside the camp or outside of the camp, like you're either one of us or you're not. And so this was written to Hebrews. 
right? This was written to people who grew up Jewish, who understood what it meant to be welcomed in a Jewish community, who understood what it was like to grow up in institutional Judaism, to understand what it meant to be uh, uh, part of the camp, living under the tent. But Jesus came to the camp and they kicked him out. They kicked him out. They rejected Jesus. They rejected Christianity. And oh, by the way, they're rejecting Christians as this is written, right? That's the story of Paul going from city to city, being, being persecuted by the Jewish people following him, right? Uh, and so you have these Jewish Christians who are comfortable within the camp, right? I'm Jewish. Yeah, okay, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still Jewish. And, and I'm still comfortable in the camp. I like being part of the in crowd. I like being comfortable here. I like the safety of the camp, right? But, verse 13, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. So this is a call to the people who are in the camp, who are under the tent, to say, we need to follow Jesus outside of it. We need to go to the places where we're uncomfortable. We need to go to the places where we're going to endure things that are painful. We need to go and be the voice in the body of Christ outside of the camp, outside of the tent, outside of the community where we're welcome and where we're comfortable, so that others can hear that they're invited. So that others can hear that God loves them. So that others can hear what Jesus has done for them. Important lesson. Important lesson. So how can uh, how can the church how can the church be a reflection of this? Right? How can the church be be a reflection of the unchanging nature of Jesus that says, "Go to those who are outside of the camp and welcome them and invite them and share my love and share my grace." Be the light, be the grace, uh, the, the, be the gospel for them. Proclaim the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit is trying, wants to lead us outside of our camps, outside of our tents, to go and proclaim this good news. So, uh, one we need to hear. A lesson we need to hear. All right, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with sighing. For that would be harmful to you. Let them do this with joy and not with sighing. (sighs) All right. So the writer of Hebrews tells the people to obey those who are leading them. Right? I think this is referring to pastors to those who are leading them in their communities of faith, right? Understand that your pastor is trying to lead you. Your pastor is trying to lead you. Let them lead you with joy and not with sighing. (laughs) Please, please, let us lead with joy and not with sighing. I love that, I love that verse. (laughs) So, should you obey your pastor? Should you obey your pastor? Do pastors have a right to tell you how to live? Do pastors have a right to tell you how to walk with God? Um, If you join a congregation, part of joining that congregation, I believe, is saying to the pastor, yes, lead me, help me, guide me. Guide me through life. Guide me through faith. I need it. Help me. I would hope that you look to your pastor for guidance. So often I think we, we want to tell our pastor everything that the pastor is doing wrong. I don't get that very much anymore. I've been here a long time. But 
But instead of saying to the pastor, show me what I could do better. Help me to walk with God. Help me to live a better life. Help me to be the person God created me to be. Uh, so with joy, let them do this with joy. Let me do this with joy. I think it's a funny verse, if you can't tell. All right, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in every good, so that you may do his will, working among us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is a benediction. This is a benediction like in worship. This is a great benediction. I mean, imagine finishing worship with this. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Imagine if worship ended that way, right? It's a little different than the, the priestly blessing of number six from Aaron, right? But, but it's a great blessing. And the desire for the blessing is that uh, complete in us every good work that God is working in you. God is working through you. God wants to see, God wants to see a, a transformation of the world through you, through your deeds, through your actions. And it's all through Jesus Christ and for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, so we ask, do you see God working in you through good works? Do you see you, God working through you, having an impact on those around you? That's, that's what this benediction is. That's what this blessing is. May you go and may you do good works and may, may through your good works others see Jesus. That's uh, an important part of what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. And then finally, the end of of Hebrews 13, the end of the book of Hebrews, verses 23 through 25. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been set free, and if he comes in time, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Hebrews was written, written in Italy, like that. Um, so this, this gives us a little identity of uh, a little bit of the identity of the whoever wrote it, right? This tells us about who wrote it. To helps us to to get an an, an idea. Uh, but so what it tells us is that the writer knew Timothy, and that he planned to visit his writer soon. Uh, so he was probably in Rome, and um, and so we ask, well, who do we know was in Rome by the end of the first century? So here are a couple people who could be the writer: Clement of Rome, Barnabas, and Paul. Maybe, possibly, Luke, Apollos, and Priscilla. We know Priscilla was in. Uh, we know Priscilla was in Rome. So, how crazy would that be if Priscilla was the author of Hebrews? If a woman was the author of Hebrews, we don't think it was Paul. We we think that it was written in in the style of Paul, but we don't think it was Paul. I think it would be really cool to think that Priscilla, a woman, was the writer of Hebrews. Uh, we know she was in Rome, right? We know Luke was in Rome too, but this doesn't exactly line up to the way Luke writes in Luke and Acts. And so it could be Apollos, it could be Barnabas, it could be Clement, it could be Priscilla. How cool would that be if this was written by Priscilla? So, all right, that is the book of Hebrews. Next week, we'll start something new. I'm not quite sure what, but it'll be at next Wednesday at 1030, probably, unless something happens, but 
That's the plan. And we will close with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for this, uh, for, for this word that has been passed down from generation to generation, for this uh, book of Hebrews, for all the faithful servants you have had, for those who have written to help others, for those who have gone outside of the camp to bring your gospel to others. Uh, help us to do that. Help us to share uh, your love and your grace with, the, with all the people who we can. Uh, put, put opportunities in our lives for good works to, to help uh, make an impact in the world uh, so that others can glorify you in the way that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. Take good care of yourselves, and we will see you all very soon.